Welcome to The Yoga Room. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Munoz, a yoga therapist and researcher studying and applying the tools of yoga to help transform the lives of people living with arthritis and related conditions. In this podcast, we'll explore the application of yoga to daily life, what the research shows, what real people have experienced, and how to ensure that yoga in its many forms is safe, accessible, practical, and relevant. You'll hear from people living with arthritis, yoga experts, healthcare professionals, and scientists who work in this space. Whether you're a yoga professional, a person living with a chronic condition, or someone who cares for those who do, we hope you'll walk away from each episode with a useful nugget of information or insight. Perhaps even think of this episode as a little bit of self-care. Whether you're listening in the car, the shower, on a walk, or in bed during a flare, we hope our sharing nourishes you in some way. As we begin, take a long, deep breath and consider setting an intention to have an open mind, to be fully present, to discover something new, to trust that you're hearing exactly what will serve you today and beyond. And with that, let's get on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the yoga room. I am thrilled to invite today's guest, who um, is a colleague of mine at Southern California University of Health Sciences and someone who I respect and admire dearly and I'm so thrilled to get to work with in a variety of different capacities. So I will read her formal bio, which is um, probably not nearly sufficient to share her accomplishments and also quite impressive. Vaidya Anupama Kizakavatil, otherwise known as Anu, is an Ayurvedic practitioner, licensed acupuncturist, professor, researcher, and program director of Ayurvedic medicine at Southern California University of Health Sciences. She received her BAMS degree from SDM Ayurveda College, Mangalore University, her Master of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine from the Southern California University of Health Science, her PhD from Walden University, and a fellowship in integrative medicine from the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. She also completed yoga teacher training at the Bihar School of Yoga as an advocate for the Ayurvedic profession and the advancement of its goals. Vadya Anu serves on the board of directors of the California Association of Ayurvedic Medicine, a nonprofit devoted to furthering Ayurvedic education, research and practice in California. National Ayurvedic Medical Association, or NAMA, an organization that represents the Ayurvedic profession in the United States and strives to promote the practice of Ayurveda nationwide, and Ayurvedic Accreditation Committee Commission, the AAC. Previously, she completed six years of service as a member of the Action Board of the American Public Health Association, or APHA helping to coordinate grassroots and grass tops advocacy activities. She is the co-founder of Athria Ayurvedic Integrative Health Center and Athria Herbs, a U.S.-based provider of Ayurvedic herbal supplements. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Anu, for joining me here in the yoga room. Thanks, Dr. Stephanie. Thank you very much. 
Okay, so Anu, you are also a yoga therapist. Um, and so you have a vast expertise in yoga as well. And because you are both an Ayurvedic practitioner and also a yoga therapist, you understand, I think, probably better than someone who specializes in one or the other, what the relationship between those two things is, how they how they relate as sister sciences. So um, for those who have maybe heard the term Ayurveda, but don't really know what it is, can you give us just a really basic explanation of Ayurveda? Sure, sure. So to utter the first question, Ayurveda and yoga are two ancient traditional healthcare system um, and mainly focusing on well-being of an individual person. So it's not just the disease management here. We need to understand that it's the well-being of the person. That is the key point here. So Ayurveda is more a person-centered healthcare system, which deals with a healthy lifestyle, healthy promotion, you know, health promotion, disease prevention, diagnosis, as well as the treatment. So the word Ayurveda itself indicates the science of life. It's talk about how to lead a healthy, happy, and peaceful life. That's what the definition is talk about. So it's this is not the science with just talking about the treating the disease. So the end goal here is health. The same way in yoga, also end goal is the health, right? That's what we are physical body well-being emotional well-being that's our focus and we have in yoga ashtanga yoga a pathway to achieve that state of body and mind so both this science focusing on achieving the higher level of consciousness that's the beauty here so both this science encourage us to think or encourage us to understand who we truly are what is the purpose of life what makes happy or what brings happiness in this life that's the core concept here in both these science bringing yeah so this holistic con you know, concept in ayurveda and yoga both i feel it's personalized or emphasized to a personalized approach mm -hmm. so ayurveda is more a person-centric and nature-centric approach and i strongly believe that yoga is also the same way right yeah. more yeah. person-centric and the nature-centric Centric. Yeah, and when you're talking about Ashtanga, you're talking about the eight-limbed path of Ashtanga yoga, not the style of yoga that is referred to as Ashtanga, exactly. just so Thank people you. know that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so you you hinted at some of the tools of Ayurveda. So there, it's focused on promoting health and well-being at any stage. So that can be health provo promotion, disease prevention, or disease treatment and management, depending on where Individually. somebody is when they come into. And for Ayurveda, I would imagine you may be working on prevention in one area of life and management of disease in another area of life, because it's a whole person perspective. So there are herbs, um, which is one of the ways that it differs from yoga. What are the other tools of Ayurveda? Yeah. So in Ayurveda, the main first 
when we look at what is the main objective of Ayurveda, aim of Ayurveda is prevention of the disease. And then the second one comes treatment of the disease. So early, the first few chapters in the classical literature uh, talk about the preventive care. That is daily routine is very important aspect, seasonal routine and night routine. These are the three main aspect, uh, tools what we use for the preventing the disease. So in the daily routine, for example, starting from waking up in the morning, early morning before sunrise, or we call it Brahma Muhurta in yoga also, yoga philosophy also believe in the same concept. So waking up in the morning till you go to sleep, what all are the activities you need to do to take care of this physical body as well as the mental body? And then same way, the body, you know, the, we are living in a specific time, right? At the each time and the space, it has the, our environment play a role to, uh, you know, di bring different changes in our body as well as in the mind. So it talk about as the season change, as the time change from morning to night, as season change from winter, summer, etc. What all are the precautionary measures we need to follow through so that we can prevent the disease and promote the health? And then in the same way, the night routine. What all are the precautionary measures we need to follow for uh, you know going to the sleep? Ayurveda sleep is actually one pillar, very important aspect in Ayurveda. The sleep, food, sleep, etc., are very important. So now. After this aspect, then it comes the, the other tools, the diet. The food is very important, actually, according to Ayurveda. Majority of the disease starts from the improper administration of the food or improper intake of food or food what we eat doesn't get digested properly. So the undigested metabolites are the cause of the disease. So Ayurveda focuses on what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, and what happened to the food we eat. Those very important. Then the herbs, which you mentioned, there are more than 4,000 plus herbs are mentioned. It's up, no, apart from the herbs, you know, herbal mineral compounds are there, animal products are there. So Ayurveda is not just a vegetar vegetarian focus. So we have a different aspect, dravya, we call it. You know, each dravya has a different medicinal property. So that is, so the food one aspect or the diet, then the herb. Then various type of body work that are with. That is beautiful, you know, another very strong aspect of the Ayurveda. Uh, manual therapy, we can call it uh, to understand, you know, much more better term in a better way. But it's our oil-based therapies, you know, full body massage, back therapy, neck therapy. We use different spice to do the massage. We use rice and rice cooked with milk and some herbs to do the massage. Like that various and de detoxification therapy, like purificatory therapies are explained. That is her herbal induced vomiting, herb induced purgation, and various type of enema, bloodletting therapy. So those all are another group actually, body work therapy. So again, diet, herbs, body work therapies. And then it's talk about the different yoga or exercise. So that's why yoga is a sister science of um, Ayurveda, we call it, or Ayurveda is a sister science of yoga. <laughs> we can see in both the way people explaining it, but it's all together. It says that, you know, Ayurveda mainly focus on the physical body well-being and the yoga can mainly focus on the mental body well-being with the combination 
you know, it brings really a, uh, bring our life into your utmost potential to function in a better way, to stay more focused and calm and uh, have a very healthy physical body. So some of what you shared is really easily aligned with yoga philosophy and practice, right? Like, um, you know, it would, while it would be outside of the scope of a yoga therapist to recommend a specific diet, there are lots of tenets of eating within a yogic lifestyle, right? More connected to nature, non-harming, eating mindfully, um, balance of energy, which comes up in sleep and rest and use of energy cycles. Um, you mentioned some things though that might make people step back like bloodletting or other sort of um, practices that are less familiar or less comfortable, especially from a Western perspective. So if someone were pursuing Ayurveda or were working with an Ayurvedic practitioner, would they expect some of those kinds of practices too? No, in the US, we cannot do that. Uh, based on the scope of practice, what we have in US, we cannot do any type of bloodletting therapy. So back in India, we use the leech therapy. We use leech for bloodletting. Um, but unfortunately, we cannot do that. So I don't think you know any of the patients who visit an Ayurvedic practitioner will be getting a bloodletting therapy here. You say unfortunately, but I think for many of us, we would say fortunately, <laughs> there will be no leeches involved in working with an Ayurvedic practitioner here in, in the yeah, U.S. Not, but you know, I have, the reason I said unfortunately, I have seen tremendous clinical benefit using the leech therapy for certain condition. It's really mind-blowing mm -hmm. result. Interesting. That's so um, when it comes to sort of the historic origins, when we think about where yoga shows up in the ancient text, you have you know, the Vedic tradition, and then you start to see specific mention in the sutras of the concept of yoga as a yoking, and then you know, a definition of what is a state of yoga and then what are the practices that we could use to help achieve a state of yoga. Where does Ayurveda show up in the text tradition? See, what I, what I say is Ayurveda helped to take care of this physical body a lot. Even though it has a role for the taking care of the mind, you talk about the food which are suitable to the mind, and it's talk about the, you know, when you follow this daily routine, seasonal routine, et cetera, it helps to keep the mind more calmer. But I feel like yoga and Ayurveda, you always mutually benefit together. So Ayurveda for more physical body, yoga can bring more uh, mental body well-being. But that being said, please don't misunderstand, Ayurveda does play a role to the mind and yoga also does play a role to the physical body well-being as well. But look at the spiritual aspect of both Ayurveda and yoga. It is very similar. The spiritual aspect, both these signs are aiming at uplifting individual consciousness. Right? It helps us to understand who are we? We are not this physical body. Are we this physical body? Or are we the emotion what we are experiencing? 
or are we beyond of this physical body and experience what we go through? And that kind of spiritual understanding come from both of this, from Ayurveda and yoga, spiritual background of that. Here, spirituality is not just about the religious here. Here, spirituality is that consciousness-based approach to the life. And that's why in Ayurvedic literature, an early part of the, before even go to the disease and disease management, it talk about what is life means? What is the purpose of life? You know, what is a good human being? What all are the different aspects of the good human being? So I feel like, you know, it's very important that before we start leading a life to have that better understanding of what exactly the life means. And the yogic literature and Ayurvedic literature help us to have that better understanding of that about life. So Ayurveda can help us take care of the body mm -hmm. and, you know, as well as other things, yoga helps us to still the mind mm -hmm. through a lot of different practices. But in order to do either one, we should know why we are doing it. Exactly. Which means you that the, the, the meaning and purpose comes first and foremost. What is what is the purpose of and and that is the meaning to life in general, and then probably also the meaning to life for an individual human and their dharma. Yes. So how do we understand this? If you look at the definition of yoga, yoga to chitta vritti nirodha. What does that mean? You know, it's that definition itself is removing the vritti of chitta. So inner tendency is to quieten the mind here, right? It, yoga is the mind-body discipline that aim to quieten the mind, reduce the inner noise or inner voice, enable us to reach into a state of inner silence and anchor it to a deeper source of our consciousness. That right. is what the definition gives, right? So if we look at the ultimate aim of Ayurveda, in Ayurveda, what is considered as a healthy person? Mm -hmm. It's talk about not just biological parameters coming completely normal, it's not a healthy person. Right. It's talk about, you know, yes, all the biological work, you know, energies, vata, pitta, kapha, or we call it, you know, transformatory energy, acne, waste product elimination, that also need to be functioned properly and tissue function needs to be done properly. But apart from that, it has one point here, prasanna atma indriya mana. That means happiness in soul, manas, and sensory organ. Mm -hmm. All these things also need to be in a balanced state or peaceful state. Then only that person is considered as healthy person. And that's not something just like with yoga, you don't, achieve stillness of the mind and then you're done it's yeah. a constant practice and so to maintain health and well-being of the body is a constant practice and that requires daily care um, yeah. through ayurvedic lifestyle and practices so if we're talking about arthritis so we can on a gross level kind of separate you know, there are all of these hundreds of different conditions that are under the umbrella of arthritis. Mm -hmm. And of course, Ayurvedic care is individual care. Mm -hmm. 
So just as a yoga therapist would work with a person who have ar has arthritis and they're going to work with each person differently according to that person's particular limitations and needs and priorities, the same would be true working with an Ayurvedic practitioner. But if we think about two main buckets for arthritis conditions, one being the more localized mechanical wear and tear on the body as in like osteoarthritis, for example, or degenerative disc disease as another example. And then in another bucket, we have the systemic inflammatory arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriatic arthritis. How does Ayurveda, Ayurveda which ideally would deal with prevention, but if you're already living with these conditions, you're thinking about how to bring the body into balance and harmony. How would Ayurveda think about those two kinds of processes? Okay. This is very important because all arthritis are not the same. It, we have to look at the pathology based on the patient's signs and symptoms. For example, osteoarthritis treatment approach is completely different from a rheumatoid arthritis or gouty arthritis. So in Ayurveda, we call it Sandivata is osteoarthritis, Amavada for rheumatoid arthritis, Vatarakta for gouty arthritis. <clears throat> so if a patient comes to us with the diagnosis, as I mentioned earlier, Ayurveda is more patient-centric approach, right? Personalized, individualized. It, you know, so we need to understand, look at the signs and symptoms. If the patient have stiffness, joint pain, rigidity, et cetera. Based on that, we identify which biological energy is more imbalanced. In general, you know, osteoarthritis, vata. Vata is one of the biological energy, which is predominant of wind energy. And it's more responsible for movement-related energy in the body. And that particular energy is what imbalance. So then what we do is, according to that, we have a specific diet recommendation, specific lifestyle recommendation, specific bunch of herbs what we can give in the combination, and specific type of therapy. We call it Janu, if it is a osteoarthritis at the knee, we have Janu Basti. So, you know, we make a ring kind of a structure around the, with using some dough around the knee and we pour hot oil and then keep it for, you know, about 20 minutes. We remove the oil and keep it, uh, that process will repeat it so that the oil stay warm. And that is one therapy we will perform. And um, and basic some yoga asana recommendation we'll uh, do to the give to the patient. Whereas if it is a rheumatoid arthritis, it's more about inflammatory type of arthritis, and the root cause of that we identify connection with the gut more. So we need to fix the gut, and we need to control the inflammation, right? So sometimes in it's autoimmune condition too, right? Are a factor positive? You know, I'm not going to that particular area now, but still you need to understand what is the pathology here in this patient rheumatoid arthritis. First approach is fixing the gut because even in Ayurveda, it is called Amavata. What is Ama? Ama is an undigested metabolites combining with Vata energy. That's what this disease is. So 
we have to make a differential diagnosis first between OA and RF. And then once you diagnose the condition as RF, then again, it will be a similar type of tool, but the, the things what we use will be different because inflammatory arthritis, complete. we don't even use the oil. If there are more inflammation, no oil at all, no oil application at all. The moment you use the oil, patient symptom will get increased. So that's why usually oil will be away when there is more AMA present in a rheumatoid arthritis patient. AMA means undigested metabolism. But here we use it, some of the spice powder. We at the SCU Health Center, we do this therapy, like different spice combination. We make a powder and prepare a poultice and then do the massage with that. Or mm. sometimes I give the recommendation, uh, the seashore sand something mm. yeah mm -hmm. that's beautiful we, that we live in a place where we have access to that <laughs> yeah. so you dry roast the this sand and sometimes mm -hmm. you know people who don't have that so i tell them to get from home you know home depot or in you know, place sand <laughs> right. you have to dry it in the sun and then yeah. dry roast in an iron pan and tie it in a poultice and then do the therapies mm. so, okay so you have right a variety of different therapies and dietary recommendations that are going to be specific to the person but in general there are certain approaches that make more sense for a, a certain category of arthritis versus another um, and if someone were pursuing ayurveda what does that mean for their conventional healthcare. So if someone is seeing a rheumatologist and they're on a disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug and then they come to you for Ayurvedic care, how do those things work together? Yeah, I had uh, several patients in that category. They are already started allopathic or conventional medicine and still not feeling that much benefit and they'd come to Ayurveda and see whether they can use the integrative approach, especially for rheumatoid arthritis. I have used several integrative approach to the patients. You know, they will continue whatever the medicine they'll be taking from the conventional medicine care. And we will slowly adding the Ayurvedic approach. We recommend the diet, like for example, in generally arthritis patient, we tell avoid potato, raw food, cold food, dry food, oily fried food, you know, green peas, etc. And then uh, that's mainly the dietary recommendation part of it. And uh, slowly we have to take them. Initially itself, everything removing, it can be quite challenging. We educate the patient on that journey. And then, you know, sometimes these people come for the therapy once a week. And so they'll still continue the conventional medicine along with we'll do add-on therapy, adjunct therapy as Ayurveda. And as the patient go through this, they will feel much better. They can now lift the bag. They can move, walk a little further distance. And then they will slowly taper down their conventional medicine. And then after some time, slowly taper down the Ayurvedic medicine, and then they are fine to go. So you, you talked about some foods to avoid. Yeah. Um, and what I found in working with people who have inflammatory arthritis is that it's really individual. For some people, they find that they don't respond well to wheat. And for someone else, it's nightshade vegetables. And for someone else, it's red meat. And um, so are you saying there are foods that are bad for everyone with RA? And then there are also unique differences or how do you think about 
you know, what foods are right for a person who has arthritis? For RA, I, in initial visit itself, I tell the majority of them this nightshade, I tell them to avoid. There is no question. I tell, tomatoes, bell pepper, you know, chili pepper, jalapeno, all those in uh, eggplant, all that will be avoided. And also meat, completely stay away from the meat, red meat, especially cayenne pepper, salt, and fish, uh, shellfish, beef, pork, all that will be, and sour food, spongent, sour, and salty taste, completely stay away. And then some patient, you know, depending on the symptom and other thing, I also recommend stay away from the wheat and dairy product. And I have seen huge result when I cut down the dairy product and wheat in inflammatory arthritis patients. So it's basically again, but in generally, whatever I said earlier, that's for all RA patients, I usually recommend stay away from that inflammation causing food category. <laughs> stay away from so, that. So that's pretty strict, Dr. Anu. So do people have difficulty adhering to that much limitation on their diet? We did a survey actually at SCU Health Center about Ayurvedic practitioner, uh, you know, giving the diet and uh, following the diet, how much difficulty. But I'll tell you from my in my own clinical experience, by the time when they come to Ayurvedic practitioner, they their pain is very severe. They have tried everything. They did take, uh, usually RA patient might have taken a lot of steroids, etc. So they just need a relief. At that point, they are ready to do it. So RA patient and all, I never felt that much challenge to, and I don't tell them this will be lifelong. I tell them till for next three weeks, I'm going to put you under a detox type of diet. So, and then we will reevaluate and then look at it. So don't worry, this is not going to be a diet for lifelong, just for three weeks. I educate and give them okay. that current. Yeah, and when yeah. they do that three weeks, they see the mm -hmm. huge difference. Mm -hmm. They love it. They say, oh yeah. my God, I couldn't believe. Because by the time to get the herbs, sometimes it takes time. So initially, right. they you start with diet. diet and yeah. they see this huge difference. Yeah. And Dr. Soon, I'll tell you, majority of the disease arise from the food what we eat. Yeah, We don't have to eat three times a day. I'll tell you the... It's very important, the concept of the intermittent fasting is more very important for, especially for the disease due to undigested metabolites or in Ayurveda, we call it AMA. The majority of the disease comes from that. We eat too much, more than what our body needs. And we are not paying attention to the food, what, what happened to the food, what we eat. And that's the problem. Even if we are not hungry, oh, it's a lunchtime, I have to eat. It's right. a dinner time, I have to eat. Maybe right. the body's not able to digest it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, when I am working with people, we do a lot around just self-awareness yeah. in in the yoga, in the the physical practice of asana as a way to start paying more attention in general, paying more attention to what my energy level is, paying more attention to how my joints are feeling, paying more attention to the emotions that are arising, to whether relationships are fueling me from a heart-centered place or are they draining me? Um, and so I hope to foster greater self-awareness for my clients that helps them to make better decisions 
in all different areas of life, right? You, for, you first have to pay attention yes. to be able to then make wise choices. So when it comes to diet and nutrition, and this can be really challenging, especially for people who have grown up in diet culture and people who have experienced trauma related to their body and where food has had a role in that in some way, unpacking the physical need and the emotional need and how that is tied up with food and culture is really complicated. Um, if someone starts that process of paying attention to how they feel, and I encourage them to keep a journal yeah. and notice when you eat, were you hungry? Were you satisfied? Were you stressed? Were you, you know, being mindful? Were you distracted? And to notice how you feel after you've eaten the food, like, hmm, well, when I eat this food, I kind of feel foggy. And when I eat that food, I feel vibrant. So if someone notices their own individual responses to foods, is that enough? Like, what if, Dr. Anu, you tell me, don't eat these, this food, and I notice, well, when I eat that food, I actually feel better after. <laughs> what would you say to that? Yeah, I tell them to listen to the heart. They will be okay. the best. We cannot go always from the textbook. Okay. Yeah. So tell them, if that particular food make them feel comfort and the none of this symptom is getting aggravated, they right. are feeling happy, go for it. Yeah, okay. At the end of the day, even that self-awareness is mm -hmm. very important. Yeah. How we feel and, you know, the daily practice of all the aspects of yoga as well as mm -hmm. Ayurveda is helping us to achieve that realization. Right. So one example, I'll tell you, uh, we are not the body, right? We are not the right. mind and we are not the experience in the world. So we are the consciousness in which mm -hmm. all the experience occur. So yeah. to observe the thought, to know that you are not the thought, right? right? To observe an emotion is, but it is to know that you are not an emotion. Right. To observe the body is to know that you are not the bundle of sensation and perception. Right. So having that very important, that self-reflection, mm -hmm. the self-awareness of you know, our own body, our own breathing sound. Who are we? This bunch of right. sense organ with this <laughs> five elemental body creation. Once we understand that, we will be able to experience a stillness. Mm -hmm. And in my understanding, what I'm observing in my patient and in my life, sometimes we forget to experience that stillness within our body and mind. Mm -hmm. We have to put an effort to experience that stillness. Yeah, and yeah, that's absolutely. Problem starting nowadays. Right. It's, yeah. And, and, you know, similarly, when you're talking about intermittent fasting, yeah. there are some people who benefit from eating smaller amounts more often as opposed to large meals and some people who benefit from eating more of their food earlier in the day, right? There are individual differences there too for people to pay attention to. Yeah, that's why individualized person centric. Right. We cannot always go with the same textbook knowledge or same right. kind of thing, a plus and minus with every individual. Yeah. Now, um, 
you you started to hint at the doshas, which may be familiar to some people who are listening and not to others. And I think sometimes people see these like take a quiz on the internet and figure out what your dosha is. And they think, you know, it's like a Cosmo magazine quiz, like, oh, I'm a this, I'm a Pisces, right? Um, so can you talk a little bit about how Ayurveda conducts that assessment and how that system informs the approach that you use? Yeah, I'll explain first what is dosha. It's most sometimes confusing concept actually um it's the reason is it's very difficult to explain in one sentence the translation of dosha uh i had very much you know early part of my career what should i tell about dosha should i say biological energy do, do i say transformation it's so challenging so the central concept of ayurvedic medicine is three dosha theory three dosha three means number three actually dosha theory so what this theory is that um, um, these doshas or the biological energy that govern all the bodies, biomotor, metabolic, and physiological activities. So doshas determine the longevity at the cellular level and maintain a homeostasis in the body. So every living species contain in a unique combination of all the three doshas. That means not everybody will have 80% of vata, 20% of pitta, 10% of kapha. It's not like that. This different permutation and combination of these three energies, that is vata, pitta, kapha, that's what makes the person individual different and unique. And these doshas are formed from the five elements. That is, you know, earth, water, space, fire, you know, all those uh, elements. Air, fire, earth, water, ether, etc. So all these, again, this fire element in a different permutation and combination, each dosha is formed. That's the beauty here. For example, vata is formed from the space and air combination. Pitta is formed from the fire and water combination. Kapha is formed from the earth and water combination. So these, and again, the combination, permutation and combination of these five elements prepare the individual dosha. And from individual dosha, these three doshas in a different permutation and combination combine and for present in the individual person. And each of this dosha has its own quality each of these dosha has its own main function. Vata is mainly related for movement. Pitta is mainly related for transformatory energy. Kapha is mainly related for stability and construction. And so I think it's important to point out that we all have different aspects of these energies in yeah. us. And when you do like a quiz online and it tells you, you know, here's what your dominant dosha is it doesn't mean you don't have the others also and each person so for example i am pitta dominant i also have vata you know and then a little bit of kapha but somebody else who has a similar composition it could be completely different yeah 
because the way that my pitta energy shows up is going to be different from someone else who is also pitta dominant yeah you maybe have pitta more in your mind or less in the physical it varies right Right. So that permutation and combination vary. That's where the problem comes. You know, you should, oh, I'm also Pitta. You're also Pitta. We should eat exactly the same. Right, thing. right. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Now that as you're describing it, Dr. Anu, it sounds very similar to the elemental theory in Chinese medicine. Yes. You're yes. also an acupuncturist. So for people who may be a little bit more familiar with traditional Chinese medicine, how do they compare with each other yeah in ayurveda and chinese medicine has a lot of similarity actually you know they it also has a you know elemental theory and it also has an energy standard location that is where we use acupuncture points and in ayurveda we call it as a marma point and in acupuncture we do the needling in ayurveda we do the massage at the marma point and the herbs also there have been a lot of similarity actually i was reading the other day an article in eighth century there is a translation of the ayurvedic book in chinese medicine chinese language not in chinese but chinese language and also in ayurveda the integrative medicine approach is existing thousands of years back so there is one chinese herb which is more most commonly used in china in that particular time i forgot which century it was and that was herb's name is chopachini and that was mostly used in china and it is mentioned in chinese medicine but later part of in ayurvedic literature we can see the mentioning of that particular herb in treating some condition so there is interchange integrative medicine approach was established in those days as well but both of these science the main concentration is mainly targeting well-being of a patient and um both of these systems chinese medicine and ayurveda have something that doesn't really exist in the biopsychosocial model which is energy movement of energy transformation use of energy which you know in the west we could think about sleep and rest and vitality and the but that doesn't really get at the ideas of like chi and prana yeah. so how do you work with energy as in the healing process yeah so the chi or in prana it's all vital energies in the body how does this vital energies form it's formed from the food what we eat it formed from the thoughts what we process or all the knowledge perception what we experience through the sensory organs all that play a role in the formation of the chi or prana in the body. So that's why in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and all, it's integration of the body, mind, spirit healing. So what it talk of, there is a constant communication happening between this body, mind and spirit. In Chinese medicine, we call it that chi energy, that spirit, you know main chief so if you look at much more in depth you can see there is a psychos this psychosomatic approach of framework in chinese medicine and ayurveda is very similar to psycho neuro endocrino immunology and if you go through the psycho neuro endocrine immunology is exactly the same for ayurveda i, I mean i spend a little more time to look into that it is a body mind and spirit healing including that vada pitta kapha 
Vata can more into the neuron kind of function. Pitta can more correlated with the endocrine related function. Kapha is more correlated with the immunological related function. So this framework is very similar. Mm -hmm. And the same way, the concept of the epigenetics, how mm -hmm. the environment play a role in framing the genes expression, right? That right. is here in uh, Chinese medicine as well as in Ayurvedic medicine concept. So in your experience as an Ayurvedic practitioner, what is some of the transformation that you've seen in working with people who come to you with chronic pain conditions? Oh, huge, especially rheumatoid arthritis. I think I might have published a case report. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you did, we'd love to share it in the show yeah. notes. So if I you can find so. it, please, think, yeah, please share it. it. Okay, great. So what what we, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis, pain, Ayurveda and acupuncture can offer a lot that I can underline. I would say for pain-related condition, these two modality will help not only from illness to reach illness to wellness, but overall quality of life is getting improved. That's what I noticed among the patient. I have still remember I had a patient who was extremely rheumatoid arthritis, taking you know steroid for many years and stop it, continue, stop it, continue. But the patient had the problem, not even able to lift her back. And she's kind of stopped working because she cannot type anything in the computer, et cetera. So she took the kind of early retirement. Um, but then what I did for her was diet change. And then I told her to do the, uh, the play sand therapy, you know, playing uh, that I told her to go to Home Depot and get it. And when she came back after one month for her follow-up visit, patient reported that her 40% of the pain is better. And she felt like she has hope in her life. And she was wow. having the wrong diet that she yeah. ate meat every day. That's amazing. And she, every day she has painkiller, even if it is not yeah. a super, every day she was taking a painkiller. Right. And she, she thought that that's her life long. Now right. she has to do right. the painkiller. But if she could come out of it after, you know, we did a couple therapies and the diet, lifestyle, mm -hmm. herbs, and she came out of it. So in the same way, osteoarthritis at SCU clinic, we have a lot, lot of osteoarthritis patient comes in, especially low back pain yeah. or knee uh, joint, you know, knee arthritis. Um, so the pain, I would say Ayurveda can offer a lot, but proper diagnosis needs to be done. Yeah. You have to yeah. differentiate from inflammation or degeneration right. Right. because the treatment approaches are different. And there, so there is um, a growing body of evidence for the use of acupuncture for chronic pain conditions like low back pain and knee osteoarthritis and also for the use of yoga. And I'm not sure if you know that we recently completed a study where we combined acupuncture and yoga therapy. We don't know whether it's better together than we, we didn't design the study to answer that question. But, um, but when we can use these approaches integratively that we know each have an independent effect, there may be an enhanced effect from using more than one. Um, what is the state of the research evidence for Ayurveda? Yeah, it's slowly growing, but we don't have that many research studies similar to uh, what we see in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. 
we don't have that many in Ayurveda, but I would say there is first NIH grant study for um, in Ayurveda uh, received first for OA, and it was a study done by Indian, one of the India Ayurvedic Medical College with UCLA. And I believe it's UCLA, it's a, a uh, methotrexate comparing with the Ayurvedic herbal combination and kind of they used a whole system based individualized based treatment approach for that patient, that, uh, that trial. And there is another study also very good study done in Germany, uh, actually for Ayurveda and uh, for knee osteoarthritis. That is also well accepted study actually and uh, triggered actually for further research study happening out of India. And um, uh, yeah, and there are several studies of um, knee osteoarthritis and as well as rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. um, oh, uh, I think the first uh, rheumatoid arthritis, sorry for the... Uh, oh, okay. It was RA studies done. Actually, yeah, that makes more sense for methotrexate yeah. to be the comparison. Yeah, yeah interesting. And I appreciate how you're saying that they used an individualized whole person approach because a lot of times what happens in research studies like that is, well, let's compare a drug to an herb yeah. and not consider that, you know, in Ayurvedic practice, it's, we don't just give somebody an herb. It's a whole yeah. person individualized care approach. Yeah. And in the studies that I've been a part of, we've been fortunate to be able to individualize the care and yeah. say, okay, here's a breathing practice that makes sense for this person. This is a different breathing practice that we would recommend for that person based on what they're reporting and what we're observing. So when we can conduct the research in a way that's in alignment with the way that the medicine is delivered, we're going to get data that reflects how it actually gets used in clinical practice. So that's great to hear. And um, if we can find it, let's share. Yeah, yeah, the... I have that study. I oh, perfect. Okay, great. And these are the three, you know, well, uh, about arthritis, the uh, RA studies and two OA studies are well done. And then, you know, whole system approach is very important for Ayurveda and acupuncture. That's, I believe in that because that yeah. is a real clinical scenario. When a patient comes to us, we are not going to give exactly the same thing for all the patients. Right. It is always more individualized. So I'm a great fan of you know, whole system approach studies for this tradition. And that's actually um, a great interest of and CCIH, the National Center for yeah. Complementary and Integrative Health, they are becoming more interested in these whole systems okay. approaches than yeah. in just isolating a single ingredient and studying that alone. Uh, Dr. Anu, so I, I have two questions for you in terms of where people can find more information. So one, if someone has an arthritis condition and they're interested in learning more about Ayurveda, finding an Ayurvedic practitioner, where would they go? And then for people who are yoga teachers and yoga therapists, and they would like to just learn more about Ayurveda and maybe when to refer and how to collaborate, where would people go? Yeah, at Southern California University of Health Science, we have a separate Ayurveda medicine department. We also have ongoing Ayurveda clinic at the health center. So we have the, our clinic is open from Monday till Saturday. You know, every day we have Ayurveda shift. 
please you know, look at the SCU Health System website where we have listed all the therapy what we are giving. I would highly recommend you know schedule an appointment. Initial consultation is very important before jumping into any kind of the scheduling a therapy. First initial consultation is more most important. And also, and what know, if they're not in our local area? Well, we we also do the Zoom consultation. Oh, great! Okay. Yeah, Zoom consult. All the clinicians there provide Zoom consultation. And um, also at the program, university, we have two-year certificate program, Ayurvedic hmm. Wellness Educator and Ayurvedic Practitioner Certificate. And, and what's the difference between those? So in the Wellness Educator program, that is the first year, 720 hours program, mainly covering wellness and health promotion aspect of Ayurveda. Okay. And we are not talking about any pathology, disease diagnosis, internal medicine, all that aspect. Mm -hmm. That cover, cover under the um, second year program where they will be learning more than 100 plus Ayurvedic herbs and mm. population and more than 100 plus Ayurvedic you know, disease from Ayurvedic perspective, how to diagnose this, how mm -hmm. to come up with the treatment principle and treatment. And we have hands-on clinic also. So students get the clinical experience working at our health center as well under the supervision of uh, mm -hmm. Ayurvedic um, fac faculty. So majority of our lead faculty are Ayurvedic doctors from India with more than 20 plus years clinical education as well as teaching experience. So that's our plus point. So if someone um, doesn't go to the SCU clinic, if they look for a local provider in their town, how would they know if it was a good provider, if it was somebody that they could trust? Yeah. So if they visit National Ayurvedic Medical Association website, NAMA, Mm -hmm. They have listed all the practitioners and, you know, or Ayurvedic Vaidya category in their website. So that's how you can look at the local practitioner or Ayurvedic doctors from India through that website. And, and is there, okay, so for example, with yoga, mm -hmm. there are yoga teachers who teach power yoga that is very um, vigorous and would not be appropriate for people with arthritis. And then there are yoga teachers who have a lot of training and experience in how to work with people who are living with arthritis. Is there um, a specialization in Ayurveda? How would they know, oh, this person knows a lot about arthritis and is a good person to work with? Yeah, I would say read the bio, but if they are Ayurvedic health counselor or health educator, they are mm -hmm. in the early stage, health promotion and health education category, and you can consult them in general for health promotion aspect. Mm -hmm. But if they are tightly educational background, Ayurvedic practitioner mm -hmm. or uh, any Ayurvedic degree completing from India, mm -hmm. that you can those practitioner you can approach for disease management aspect of Ayurveda because look mm -hmm. at the number of hours they finished you know usually right. seven, 600 to 720 700 or 800 hours is wellness right and thousand plus hours will go to the practitioner you will be able to see up to more than 4000 plus hours Ayurvedic practitioner got it so yeah then you can choose looking at okay 4000 1000 those are under Ayurvedic practitioner mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and if someone is going to an Ayurvedic practitioner is there anything that they should be 
careful about or um, is there anything they should ask their doctor before they go about, you know, drug or interactions or things that may be contraindicated? Yeah, I would highly recommend when you meet with the practitioner, please explain your history, case history in detail, what you are mm -hmm. taking, take your prescription along with you, explain everything. And also when you talk to your conventional medicine practitioner, you can also tell them that you are taking Ayurvedic herb, but not many people are open to it. I have seen mm -hmm. uh, because some patients tell me, you know, I got much better. And then my doctor say, I don't know what you are taking. You just continue. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that so many times. Yeah. You know? So I just had a recently one example that she was diagnosed with cancer. I don't know how are we with the timing, maybe. I'll just another minute or so. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Okay. And, you know, what I want to say is you can I would highly recommend to share each mm -hmm. practitioner what kind of herbs and drugs you are taking. It's very mm -hmm. important aspect in decision making process. And and it's probably also important where you're getting the herbs so that you make sure that they're sourced well and that they're pure and you can't just, you know, go on the internet and I buy. I highly, 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 highly recommend. That is another big challenge now, the herb sourcing. Heavy metal clearance is very important. Microbial load clearance is very important. So you need to make sure the herb sourcing, you are buying from the company which are very good source of herbs and yes. they follow all the FDA guideline. There are certain FDA guidelines which need to be followed to sell a herbs, you know, in the US. Mm, right. And while purchasing, you just make sure the company follow those. Great. Is there anything else that you want to share, Dr. Anu, that we didn't cover? Yeah, you know, I believe in peace. No matter what you do, no matter what you are suffering from no matter how busy you are in your life and no matter whatever dreams you have in your life, one thing I want the listener to follow, make sure you have peace in your life. Mm. Wherever you go, whatever you do, have that peace within your body, in your mind, in your soul and wherever you are. Mm. And that brings the happiness and love. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nusang. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with me. And I am so, I am grateful to know you and to have the opportunity to work with you. Thanks, Dr. Stephanie, having me here. And I'm extremely honored to receive this invitation. Thank you. Om Shanti. Thank you so much for joining us in the yoga room. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, following, and leaving a review. You can find more information and resources on our website at arthritis.yoga and on our social media channels. Join our newsletter to learn about our latest offerings and please share with anyone who might benefit. Until our next episode, we wish you peace and well-being. May your light shine so bright that all the world is better for your being in it.